All right, howdy everyone. This is the Quality Matters uh, Business Visionaries live stream. So what we are gonna be doing today is another book club review. So it'll be fun. Um, I'm again, Kyle Chambers, I'm with Texas Quality Assurance. And I wanna introduce you to uh, the rest of the group again here. So Steve. Yeah. Hey guys, good to see you again. Steve Lewis, Eternal Energy. We um, uh, develop and execute growth strategies for companies that are IP backed and energy related. Cool. Rob? Uh, Rob Thompson, working with Berkman International, and we work with organizations to help develop their most important asset, their people. And we have a guest this week. Steve, you want to introduce our guest? Well, he needs no introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, first first of all, thank you for the invite. Uh, excited to be here uh, talking to very knowledgeable people here. So my name is Alex Burgos. I've been working mainly on technology projects, global projects in Asia and Europe. Mm. Uh, North and South America. So excited to be here and uh, discuss this great book we awesome. have today. And you've used this these OKRs before, right? Yes, so. of course. So, well, or something similar to it. <laughs> so. Well, Steve, That's, this was uh, your selection this week, so go ahead and tell everyone what uh, what uh, Measure What Matters is, is all about. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, was, I really like this book, and it took me back to um, when I was in corporate, and we would have to do objective settings and then do these annual performance reviews based on those and everyone hated them. <laughs> um, and I, my premise, like you just said, I think we've all used this before, these concepts. We just call it something else. Right. So this came about from uh, sort of Intel mm -hmm. and there was a CEO who's named Andy Grove. Yeah. He was the third CEO of Intel. He's also the third employee of Intel. Really? Really? Yeah. I didn't realize that fact. No, that's yeah. a good, that's so, a good, nice, fun fact from yeah. Steve. <laughs> so yeah, started in 1968, um, and he is widely credited for helping advance the entire Silicon Valley. Right. Uh, with some semiconductors and, and microchips. They might not have been yeah. the first one at it, but they're really the first ones to, to get big and to, to run and drive the industry, and everyone you know, chased them for decades. That's right. Well, yeah. still does, you know, AMD, uh, it sort of competes, but only in real niche areas. Yeah. Now Intel does about eighty billion a year, Ooh. and um, and so when he was there, uh, John Doerr mm -hmm. started Intel uh, back in I think the early seventies, and uh, now John Doerr is famous. He's a he's a Rice alum, yeah, um, big VC guy. He's credited for helping start Google and Amazon, Amazon and all yeah. Slash, those, a whole bunch, yeah. yeah. And um, and he he ended up being the best salesperson at Intel. And um, he attributes that to the use of OKRs, which is objectives and key results. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, when I, an objective is being, here's what we need to do, and key results are how we're gonna do it. It is such an insanely simple idea, you'd almost dismiss it. Oh, absolutely. But it's absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, when you first suggested the book, I was like, measure what matters. Okay, so I'm thinking like, you know, KPIs, I'm thinking, you know, tons of data collection and metrics and everything. I didn't realize what this book actually was till I started reading it because um, at a previous company I worked at, I guess it was, was maybe 2012, 2013, we had so many continual improvement projects we were working on because we just put, you know, our 9001 and 14001 and 45001 systems in place. We're building new facilities. We're adding a coding line, a new blasting facility. Like, we've got stuff going on out of the wazoo. And we couldn't finish anything. We'd get like 80% to the project complete and kind of halt. 
And so we're, you know, I'm doing my own research trying to figure out like, how do we actually just finish something? How do we get to the finish line? And so I saw uh, what Google had done. I didn't even realize at the time it came from Intel. I just knew it was something that Google did. Mm-hmm. And they called it OKRs. And so of course it's before the book, but way you know after the, the methodology was a thing. And so I'm in, you know, we're having this, this big uh, meeting. We've got all of our production supervisors in there. We've got, you know, engineers, we've got uh, welding, welders in there, like everything. Wow. And so here I'm trying to talk about objectives and key results. I'm talking about what Google does. And I didn't think this through before I, I came into the meeting. And I'm like, we don't give a crap about Google. We weld. <laughs> we're blasting. We're coding mm-hmm. stuff. We, we don't care about Google. And uh, so one of the guys in the, uh, in the meeting, he was one of their production supervisors, he chimed in saying, this is just a waste. We don't need to be doing this. I'm like, oh, man, this is derailed. This didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And I said, well, well Brian, what, what, what do we need to do? He said, we just need to get shit done around here. Mm-hmm. And I said, great. That's what we're going to call this. So to this day, they still have their active GSD project list, their get shit done list. Hey, it's all about presentation. I'm, I'm stealing that. So as soon as we named it GSD, oh man, they're on board with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. we need to get shit done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, and to your point about bringing it in there and talking about it, uh, one of the ideas I heard while I was going through this was that a great way to do it is talk, present it like a vegetable. Uh, vegetables, especially with your kids, you know, mm-hmm. they push back like I don't want to eat vegetables, and but you just gotta tell them you need to eat vegetables because they're good for you. Right. Yeah, it may not taste great. It may not be the best thing ever, but at the end of the day, it's gonna be good for you. Yeah. Perfect analogy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, it it worked out really really well for us there, and you know, very recently, you know, we decided okay, look, we're getting to a large enough scale here, you know, TQA that we need to do the same thing, you know. Um, you know, Steve, when you got here, you know, Caleb and I were sitting here for, you know, two hours before that, mm-hmm. hammering out ideas. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? But it's the same thing. We, we sat down here a couple weeks ago and said, all right, well, here's all of our OKRs. Here's all of our key objectives. Mm-hmm. Here's what we want to do this quarter. Here's kind of our stretches. And, you know, we really mm-hmm. did a lot to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I think one of the, the key things you talked about, the stretches, and I've heard it for years that from, uh, I'm a, I have a sales background, our operations, quality and sales. But in the sales world, Grant Cardone talks all the time about the 10X rule. Yes. You know what? Better to set goals that are way above what you think you can do and hit 60% of it than set a goal that you think is more reasonable yeah. and just fall short of that. Yeah. And, and I think uh, I think at Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. The guy's crazy, right? <laughs> he just has these goals, but then he keeps hitting a lot of them. Yeah. And, and for instance, like going to the, to Mars. Yeah. If you set your goal to go to Mars, and even if you don't hit that goal, if you make it like 50% of the way there, you probably come up with a lot of cool stuff along the way. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's funny. He's, he built his own rocket, built his own electric car, mm-hmm. and then strapped his car onto his rocket. It's in the space, yeah. It's just ridiculous. So I think I'd be curious to see uh, how he measures or, or approaches this, even with his own objectives. Because yeah. you know he sets these insane objectives, and it almost seems like he doesn't have any uh, limiter on the types of objectives he does. Like he came up with the crazy flamethrower. Yeah, not a flamethrower. What was it? Not a flamethrower. Not a flamethrower. Because flamethrowers are technically illegal. But oh. the way he built this, it circumvents all those. It's like a fire guns. gun. It's a yeah. fire gun then, okay? <laughs> Maybe not a flamethrower, but a fire gun. 
from the boring company. Yeah. Well, you, you, you made a point here about, um, you know, even if you hit 60% of your goal, you're still doing yeah. good. So this is one of the things I absolutely loved about mm -hmm. this book is they went into so many real world examples of what folks did. That is my number one pet peeve with these business and improvement type books is it's so much theory with so little practical. And I just absolutely love, like truly love all of the individual examples you get to hear from the actual people that have implemented it. And so you hear like four or five different ways that it's implemented. And, mm -hmm. and I love that. I love those practical examples. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things they talked about with Google. And when we did this meeting here as well, and you know, Darcy's sitting in on the meeting and I said, look, we do not actually want to attain 100% on everything. And she's just like ready to pull her hair out. She's hmm. like, you don't want to hit your goals? I'm like, no, we want to hit our goals, but if we're hitting every single key result 100%, we were pretty lazy when we set our goals. Sandbagging. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, that happened. We had a, uh, it was very demotivating for our team the way we had done our goals one year at, uh, at corporate. And uh, where we made it, we, we didn't really explain to them that 70% was good. You mm -hmm. want to be at 70%. Mm -hmm. That means you didn't sandbag. You also mm -hmm. um, did what you had to do. Well, let's, and we are real quick, because not everyone may know the term sandbagging. Mm -hmm. If you're not working some of the sales or project, man. so what's sandbagging? Well, in, in our industry, um, especially when you tie your, some objectives to your compensation, mm -hmm. um, if you're going to set what that goal is, that, then you're going to set it low yeah. so that you make sure you hit it. <laughs> so anyway, we had it so that 70% was great. Sure. And um, and so I remember I had, a, had an engineer, he was 40 plus years experience. He got, a, he got a 70 something. He came to me almost in tears saying, Steve, I've never made a 70 on any great, anything in my life. Mm -hmm. And I can't believe I'm making this now. <laughs> and I had to try to explain to him, no, like 70, that's a great score. So um, it can have a, a negative effect if you it's don't explain it well, well, right? Yeah. And what, what this book does time and time again is it talks about when you're gonna set these objectives, make sure that yes, they're agreed that they're transparent, uh -huh. that they are challenging. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's very, so you mentioned simple uh -huh. and well understood of what you're trying to achieve and what those all mean. Well, I mean, again, because I come from a software development background. So if, if you're going to, and actually I'm in the process of making our own software tool to track these internally to, to get above the Excel spreadsheet, right? But it's so simple. You have very few fields mm -hmm. that you worry about. You have your objective. You have maybe three to five key results, mm -hmm. and then you have a description column that says, here's what success looks like, and then you have a score that you rate on a zero to a one. Mm -hmm. That's it. Nice and simple. Yes. <laughs> the one thing that I've been running constantly in, in, in the project world is that the objectives are usually set, right? They're ambitious, uh, they're inspiring, and sometimes they're specific, clear, and simple to understand. However, what I see in it is that we don't follow through, and and we don't we don't mm -hmm. do the stewardship during the execution. Mm -hmm. So one thing that is has been very successful for us is make sure that that is measurable. Whatever progress we set, yeah. whatever goals we we are targeting, we need to measure those as we execute, right. and not wait until the end of the project to see yeah. whether we succeed or not. So how do you manage, you know, because you've worked on these global projects, you know, this was something that 
I ran into before, this is something we very quickly ran into here, is everyone wants to tie every key result to the next objective down the line, to the next key result down the line. They want it all to be nice and perfectly linked, and there's no necessity for anything to link. How do you handle explaining that to folks? Because I've not done well with that one. <laughs> and especially because I'm a computer guy, right? So like A has to lead to B, B has to lead to C. Exactly. Right? We can't have any dead ends. We can't have any gaps and skips, but that works well with this system. So how, how do you explain that to folks? Well, there, there's a lot of variables there, right? Which part of the, part of the world are you working? Uh, the culture, the corporate culture. There are so many different key factors, like the size of the organization, the corporate culture, the industry, the market stability at any given point, and we are into oil and gas, and you know what's going on with us right yeah. now. <laughs> it's not, so it has to. There's a lot of factors. I can tell you an example. Sometimes I had a, I had a one specific project, very aggressive project, and I had the same meeting, the same presentation with people in China, mm -hmm. uh, people in Germany, and France. Same presentation, same mm -hmm. everything, scope, and the dynamics in the meeting were completely different. Interesting. The the Germans they looked like they were they were asking aggressive questions. They looked mm -hmm. like they were pissed off, <laughs> but they were not. They, it's just mm -hmm. their nature. It's their culture. <laughs> they, they're very demanding, and they want to know why. What the hell are we doing? And why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. Chinese, on the other hand, they were very polite. They were just nodding mm -hmm. their heads, staying quiet, and it wasn't until the highest rank of the group start talking and, and everybody start mm. talking. The French, they were talking over each other. So oh. to your point, <laughs> you have to no adjust. Italians? Ita no, Italians? Yeah. No, I, 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 I went to Italy, but I didn't have that meeting there. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, there's so many variables. It, it, is, it is interesting to see, and you have to adjust to those things yeah. and create a, a solid framework. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the distinctions they make, because I was always going to it, I was calling them KPIs my whole career. Mm -hmm. And and I have pr trouble probably kind of just describing what the difference was between mm -hmm. KPIs and OKRs. And and I read something where John had said that KPI, or someone said that KPIs are numbers without soul and context. Yes. So I said, okay, well then maybe OKRs do have those qualities about them in the fact that they are uh, where KPIs might be top-down, mm -hmm. um, kind of retrospective, and very hierarchical, and, and annual. Because mm -hmm. yeah, we would, seriously, yes. we would do this huge exercise of putting all these objectives and, and KPIs together, and we put it in the drawer and not look at it for a whole year. Right. Mm. And that's, that's the worst thing you can do. Yep. Um, whereas now with, with OKRs, you're always looking at them, and always, yeah. and, and you can always change them too. Yes. Mm -hmm. Whereas you don't need to be changing your KPIs. They really need to be static year over year. And, you know, as you can think about when I put this into place at previous company and regretting that I've not done it for myself, you know, even when we were teeny tiny here mm -hmm. for the last few years. But um, it all came about because these were all about our continual improvement projects. Because with so many improvement projects we were working on, we couldn't keep track of everything. Whereas your KPIs, you're monitoring your day-to-day -day standard production processes, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say that one of your KPIs, and again, I come from the quality management world. So say one of your KPIs is um, to have a 99, you know, percent, 99.9 percent, um, .9 you know, uh, right the first rate, time. Yeah. yeah, right. So okay, that means that one in a thousand parts we produce can have a defect. Okay, well we can track that. If we have a high production, well the numbers are 
going to stay the same, mm -hmm. right? The percentage is going to stay the same. Well, to say that we're really suffering on that, we're hitting like 98%. We really need to change. It's costing us a lot, lots of problems. Well, that's where you could have an OKR to come in to say, hey, we need to get it back mm -hmm. to our 99.9. And the OKR is a short-term, one-time improvement project, whereas that KPI manage, you know, is a good way to understand year over year, like you said, month over month, how are we doing? And they are, they're boring and soulless mm -hmm. and just, it's like, okay, well, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing good. We did good this year. All right, this is what happens when I get stuck in a room with a bunch of operations guys. The <laughs> KPIs and even the, the, the key measures here, from a sales perspective, has to be something that you use as a leading indicator. Mm -hmm. Because then you can measure early on whether or not you're gonna hit your goal or not. Right. Like for a quality piece, you know there's an error there, you measure it as real time. With sales and salespeople, oftentimes it may be months before you see whether or not they're generating the results. So some of the key measures that we have there, how many meetings they set, mm -hmm. what are their touches, what's their engagement look like. And in this world we live in today, backing that all the way up into the marketing process mm. and looking at uh, where it starts. Yeah. Identifying where your client's buy cycle starts yeah. and then looking when they're engaging with you early on mm -hmm. and then whether or not they click, you know, click on your website, yep. go down your funnel, engage with you, give you their info to download the call to action. Yep. Then does someone reach out to them within the first like 30 minutes to an hour when they do that, yeah. and then when it hits, hits our sales cycle, what do we do? Well, that's, that's an interesting point, because yeah, some KPIs, are you know in real time how you're doing, Yeah. right? But others, especially with sales stuff, like, Lord, I know that's true. You know, if we have a good sales month, if I'm not careful and, and we don't stay on top of it, we're gonna have a really bad revenue month three to four months from now. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you don't yeah. stay on top of it, mm -hmm. you don't see the, the result for months to come. It takes about, there's about three month lag time a yep. lot of times. <laughs> what you do t today, dictates what your next quarter is going to look yeah. like. Whereas the OKRs are, you know, very different. Oh, yeah. It would be, you know, we you could have an OKR to identify these metrics. I was, I have them. <laughs> <laughs> I use them all the time. And you're always trying to refine them as well to yeah. figure out what's working best. Because your objective in sales is usually some sales number. Right. Yeah, that's pretty basic. And yeah, get into the why behind that. and. Well, what? if you're screwing around with someone, how many meetings they have to have on a monthly basis, oh, and every yes. month it's a different number, oh, mm -hmm. they're going to get frustrated as heck with you. Oh, yeah. But you can do that with your, your okay, it's your improvement projects, yep. your, your get shit done, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, you can screw around with it and just not, okay, well, mm -hmm. this this result's not getting us nowhere. Mm -hmm. Forget it. Remove, remove it. Move on. That's a very good point because one of the challenges that we're having we're trying to introduce, well, by introducing little by little the, the, the agile methodology. Are you guys familiar right. with that? Yeah. So, so we, we're trying to do that, but we have projects that have a different methodology and trying to merge. It's not easy. It's, it's definitely uh, painful. So get, not everyone listening knows what Agile is, and it's mm -hmm. one of these, especially if you're in the computer development, software development world, it's the buzz term that everyone says, Lord knows if they have any idea what it means. So oh, what, yeah. what's Agile mean to you? So so Agile, and I'm not an expert by, by any means because I'm, I'm trying to embrace it. Agile methodology, it works in cycles, right? In the development process. So, so you have one, one PI planning that lasts uh, a number of weeks, maybe mm -hmm. two weeks. And in that period, we set some targets mm -hmm. uh, for the minimum valuable product. Mm -hmm. So we say, okay, this is what we're gonna have to come out with. And, and it is, of course, it is just a set of 
MVPs that are going to create a product or a right. service. Uh, and then that is tied up to a product, mm -hmm. and then you have a project, and then you have to get the funding. Right. Uh, I work for a big corporation, so it, it is extremely painful. <laughs> it is uh, it's extremely complicated to mm -hmm. put it all together, especially at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm, I'm still I'm still struggling with that, to be honest with you, because, uh, and I try to embrace the new things, but I'm still struggling with that methodology. Well, you know, some things are like a race, and it's just a, a dead sprint to the finish line, right? And that's kind of the, the traditional production type model, whatever it is, even if it's design and development, like we know we need to make this product, let's just rush to the finish line. And that's where KPIs are great for measuring. But then you talk about agile, and it's kind of vesicular motion, right? So we're going to do plan development. It's the whole PDCA uh, continual improvement cycle, you know, the dimming cycle, right? So we're going to do our plan. We're going to do a little bit of work. We're going to check it. Now let's take an action. Do we like the direction we're going or not? If we like the direction we're going, we'll create a new plan for the next step. If we don't like the direction we're going, we're going to go back and replan this current one. And that just doesn't work real well with kind of the old school manufacturing. You're trying, you're trying a different vegetable. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 You can introduce Brussels sprouts. <laughs> so it is, but it, it's hard to, to mesh the two. And, you know, we've, we've seen that here with our own software development mm -hmm. as well, is if you, you focus too hard on that agile side of things, you never get to a finish line. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and one of the challenges that I have is, to your point of too many meetings, is, is so much concentration about the steward or of how we're doing that it becomes so repetitive. It's so frustrating for the mm -hmm. doers because at the end of the day, you have, in, in our case, and I was, I was thinking about that as I was driving here, we have too many, too many administrators and very little doers. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? What do you think that is? It's the methodology. It's a methodology, but I think that the a lot of the processes that organizations and even myself I'm guilty of this they put in places because uh, there's been a project or something that's been tried and it didn't work the way they thought it would be or it got behind schedule we all know most IT projects are gonna come in over budget and behind schedule it is like one of those things like <laughs> death and taxes right but the reality is and talk and listen to this is they pull together a lot of methodologies that have been used over the last decades and mm -hmm. put it into one measurable piece and because I think one of the points they make is that ideas are easy and that execution is difficult right so all that overhang because mm -hmm. I'm man I've been on a ton of projects and we have a bunch of that administrative stuff uh, and it's you need it because need it. you need it because yeah. at the end of the day it's people run these projects and they have a lot of times their own day job Mm -hmm. And the project yeah. is supplementary, so yes. they're going to get pulled into other directions and working on other stuff because some other boss is on their mm -hmm. ass about, hey, you need to work on this today, too. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the, the I've been working with the team at Berkman, one of the things we've been working on is we have this cross-functional leadership program. And one of the hardest things for projects is trying to influence when you don't have power. Yeah. And how do you do that? And right. having cap uh, the key measurement points... It, it gives everybody a common language that you can use to say, hey, listen, uh, Kyle, I, I want to get this done. But I know Alex, you know, where I get this key measurement, we got to get done yeah. because it's for this objective for the organization. So, you know, I need to get it done. Well, that's where I like that they, the, you know, 
recommends that all your KPIs are public, even personal pet projects you're working on. And to your point, more so, they have to be color-coded too. Mm -hmm. So I work with this guy, Joe, and whenever we've worked on some of these big projects, he's always about the heat map. He's like, Rob, we're going to be a heat map together. He's all excited about the heat map. (laughs) And we have these complex uh, project decks, and it's red, yellow, and green. Uh And we can look at a quick point of reference at one page and see exactly where the project is. And even work with like guys like McKenzie and Tata and stuff like that over my career. They're all about the heat map and having a key. You know, you got that one page of your deck that the CEO can look at and say, hey, what's going on here? Why is there so much red? Doesn't even know what the project does, but just asking about the red area, like, (laughs) oh, we're getting that fixed. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. uh, one of the best things I did at corporate was I found out what the probably the top twenty things that engineers would look for during the oh, any can given even day. imagine only twenty. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, you had to prioritize, right? But uh, I mean, it could be stuff like you know uh, how to do your timesheets, where to go for your timesheets, or what projects are we working on, or who are the new hires. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I did was, and I put it all on one internet site for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So when they come up, come. In the morning, they turn on the computer. That's what shows up. Yeah, well, that's cool. And front and center, I put so like a, a project dashboard. It was our dashboard, yeah, our, mm-hmm. our functional dashboard. And front and center, I put our our objectives and mm-hmm. we call them KPIs. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and I put mine on there as well. So yeah. we're all aligned. Yep. And and that's scary because if you're not hitting those goals, yeah. And we would use that red light, green light, yellow right. light system. Oh yeah. And uh, you know we had a lot of reds, mm-hmm. but. That's those are things they, they said. It's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's okay to fail on mm-hmm. certain things because you're you're stretching these guys. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and as much as I hate to admit it, you know, they said that if you stretch, the stretch goals motivate people. Like mm-hmm. they want to be challenged. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're right. Sixty percent of, of a stretch goal is better than hundred percent of a, of like a, a goal. yeah. They call it a moonshot versus a roof shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> that's know. key. Um, what. One of the things that, uh, that I like, again, you put all this stuff public, right? Mm-hmm. And he talks about Google, and I've, I've read this about Google before. I remember the first time I read it, I was like, what the heck? It said that Google allows each employee to dedicate 20% of their time to some pet project. And the first time I read that, I'm like, what? Didn't 3M start that? Or did Google? I don't know who did. All right, yeah. And I was like, what, 20% of your week to pet projects? But if that pet project you work in is part of a more organized effort for improvement, oh, well now suddenly that makes total sense. Now, again, if you're in a production facility, do you want your welder spending 20% of his time on some prep project? Probably not. Mm -hmm. But you might want your production supervisor and engineering crew to do that. Mm -hmm. You may still want your welder spending some time on it. There's all sorts Mm -hmm. of improvements. They're doing 20% something else anyway. Yeah. (laughs) And with that employee that's 100% productive 100% of the time, is difficult, especially yeah. in a work from home environment. Yeah, no comment. But if, if you have these OKRs, right, and the key results are laid out really nicely, very specifically, very measurable. That's the the hardest part is to make it measurable because we want to say, how do you put a measure on um, uh, user interface? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a fun one to put a measure on. <laughs> well, it might be. Well, we need to conduct twenty surveys. Okay, cool. So my KPI as top management is we, you know, KPI, sorry, key result. Is, yeah. uh, Thanks, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> you're contagious. <laughs> is we need to conduct 20 surveys on our new user interface. 
But then, well, Caleb, because he's over here running the AV for us, I might, Caleb might have his own personal um, objective that says conduct 20 surveys. And one of his key results is, well, I need to create a survey with 10 questions to mm -hmm. address these aspects. I need to collect it from these. I need to find customers across these multiple different industries because maybe the, all the oil and gas folks love it, but the medical device folks hate it. Mm -hmm. Who knows? So it can flow down, um, but it doesn't have to flow down, but it can. Mm -hmm. and, and I see that constantly, and that's a fundamental problem in projects. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, sometimes uh, the project management, project management start engaging late into the game. Mm -hmm. The business had those discussions already. They know what they want. They might have selected a product. Right. What they need to do is bring the project management team yeah. ahead so they can do the vendor selection process. They mm -hmm. can do the questionnaire mm -hmm. because that's fundamental, understanding what product or service yeah. we're going to be doing. And when understanding we, what, yeah. what, 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 is, what is the problem that we're trying to solve, mm -hmm. how we're going to do it. That's fundamental. And you'll be surprised the amount of the times that that is not even looked at. No. Well, you just assume someone else is going to handle it. And if everyone has their own set OKRs for this project, or even just as general for the business, you and it's all public, you mm -hmm. can look and see, okay, well, who is responsible for <laughs> selecting that vendor? The, yeah. It, what we have to remember is in all these projects that we manage, and even in our day-to-day, -day, what you try to accomplish as an organization, the common denominator across everywhere is that there's people involved. Yeah. And tying people and their own desires and what they want to achieve as an individual back to the project or back to these objectives is critical in tracking that and making them aware of it and then helping them see where their efforts help improve it right. is a key part because I think Brene Brown always says, at the end of the day, it's people are people and people. Yeah. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. People, I think employees now more than ever, they don't want to be told what to do. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and they want to be inspired and motivated. Appreciated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they have a good example analogy here with a doctor. If the doctor says, look, you need to get lose some weight, go run a marathon, mm -hmm. you're not going to do it. But if you want to run the marathon, you're way more likely to yeah. succeed doing that. Mm -hmm. um, so let people take this KP, uh, OKRs. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, it's not easy, Steve. We yeah, we're going to edit that out. Right? <laughs> uh, let people create their own OKRs. Mm -hmm. From the uh -huh. from the bottom up, make uh -huh. sure it aligns, and um, and they're way more likely to succeed and, and uh -huh. uh, go through with it. Now I can't remember which one y'all y'all said this, but uh, you know you come up with all these ideas, you stuff them in the drawer, and you don't look at them again. So uh, there were so many mixed ideas about how often to review these, right? So it was, what have y'all seen is a good way to sit down and review company wide, department wide, individuals. How often do you review and measure and update? I can give you an update, that, uh, you know, uh, an example of how, how we, we do that. And we have, uh, we're a corporation, right? And, and we're a service organization. <laughs> uh, you know, the IT is, is just a organization within the upstream, downstream, right. and all of that. And we, we're a service organization. Right. So, so what we do is we have meetings. Uh, monthly meetings with the with the stakeholders, mm -hmm. the product owner and and all of those, and then we analyze the progress, mm -hmm. very detailed progress. It's about a two-hour meeting in which we analyze every step 
on, on the process. And so you're going to go through every single key result. Exactly, exactly. And, and we, we analyze the risk, mm -hmm. but we have to go to the table with a mitigation step. I mean, risk, just like you mentioned, Steve, risks are part of, the, part of what we do. And, and some organizations, they're, they're risk averse. Yeah. So you have to be extremely careful. You have to go with a mitigation yeah. step. And, and uh, that's how we define. It has to be an open conversation. It has to be transparent. You have to build your rapport with your business venture manager, right. the, the, the project owner. Yeah. Uh, and and it, is, it is that communication. It needs to yeah. be open and transparent. Yeah, you talk about risk, and not necessarily anything directly related to the book, but you know, I've worked with a client here a few years ago, and they were trying to get a contract with, uh, you know, I think it was like Motorola, and you know, so we had to do, you know, a whole slew of FMEAs, all these detailed risk analysis, hazard assessments, hazard analysis, all this stuff, and so their RPN was sixty, and so if you take a look at, you know, the likelihood, the detection, you know, it, you multiply this out, like RPN is sixty is like they had no appetite for risk at all and it is it's just so tough mm -hmm. so tough to go after but you have to know where they're at and so that was what we had to do is we had to find well okay how are we gonna work this process so that we can demonstrate this very low risk level whereas on the other hand we've got another client that we worked with here just a couple months ago and so they're they're trying to get um, into one of these systems for you know this wind turbine construction and whatnot and you know no issue there. You mm -hmm. just need the bare minimums. But yeah, you, you have to understand what the client needs. And it, yeah. it can dramatically change the way you go after it. And, and risk is a, one of the most uh, tricky and, and, and physical, uh, fickle aspects to play with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, risk is a big deal. I know working with uh, financial advisors over the last couple of decades, uh, assessing your client's risk tolerance yeah. is critical in maintaining that customer. Yeah. And then also when you design a, an investment product, uh, making sure that that risk associated with it translates back to the, the reward, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to have a long, short uh, hedge fund and it's only going to rip back like 5%. five you, You're going to be that risky. You want to have that kind of reward, <laughs> right? Yeah. But you got to know but, going in. But the organizations also try to temper that. And the other piece is, uh, just like the asset management world, is you're dealing with somebody else's money. Yeah. It, for public companies and stuff, you are always working with the shareholder's money. Even in a private company, you're dealing with the owner or somebody who uh, has a vested interest to make sure you don't blow it up. Right. You know, so it's, it's always important to tie all that risk back and forth together. And... This process of having those objectives and also those key results, and you measure it, and you have a dashboard that's color-coded that tells you where you are, that lets you know, like, hey, we're falling way behind on here. What's the downstream impact going to be? Because my project may be a precursor or a, a project down, down the path is required me. I get my stuff mm -hmm. together, and if not... There's huge downstream impacts. Oh, yeah. And I always look at it this way. It's like, you're going to get fired. <laughs> Your goal as a project manager is keep from getting fired. Can you blow it up? You're going to get fired. Real simple terms. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I was curious to ask you guys, looking forward to this, this, about this one discussion, because of some of the specific OKRs that you've done in your organizations. Because mm. when I ask clients, hey, what's your objectives? Across the, almost all the time they say, well, to make a lot of money. 
I said, look, that that's not an objective. Mm-hmm. No. Um, in fact, Jack Welch, uh, CEO of GE, said that profits are not the objective. They're the result of yes. doing the right things or a byproduct. Yeah. And I had used in corporate um, the balance scorecard method. Oh, my gosh. Or did yeah. you remember that? So and the, uh, what, uh, it was Kaplan and Norton were these two uh-huh. researchers. And they when they asked the executives what they're focused on, they said financial almost all the time. Mm-hmm. But then they found out something interesting that comp- executives that had a different focus on other things like the customer, like mm-hmm. obviously right. um, internal processes, innovation, learning within their company were by far more successful than those right. that just looked at the one thing. So, yeah. you know, can can you give me some examples that the audience can take home and, and start sure. using for their companies? Well. I know one that I've used a lot of times, and to your point about the customers, is uh, the net promoter score. Just one question: Would you recommend me to uh, was it recommend me to a friend or a client or, or somebody else you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And you'd measure where that is. It's super simple, and that tells you whether or not those customers uh, are getting what they need is for working with the organization. Yeah, that's a great one to mm-hmm. use. Mm-hmm. Well, we sat down, you know, when we did this here a few weeks ago, you know, we, we set one of these stretch goals, I guess, if Jim Collins were called the BHAG, mm-hmm. big, hairy, audacious goal, yep. we probably need to re- review one of his many, probably good to great at, at some point. Yes, we should. Um, oh, good to great. <clears throat> but uh, our stretch goal is 10,000 clients. I mean, I know that sounds absolutely insane, but it's kind of kind of the goal. So, you know, right now we're probably at 100. Okay, so let, let's get that to, uh, to 10,000. Well, how are we going to mm-hmm. do that? Okay, well, we've got some some measures lined out. And so the way that that flowed as we were going through the process, like, well, we're getting terrible um, conversion rate on our website. Well, why mm-hmm. is that? Well, the, the call to action is hard to find. The mobile page mm-hmm. is, is hard to use. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, here's one new objective. We need a new website. Here's and, the key results. And you, you are you are your harshest critic. So it's not terrible. <laughs> then there's always room for improvement. Just, just yes. since this is going well, to, yeah. to millions of viewers. Yes, I, I want the the click through rate to be much much higher than it is. What's your click through rate now? About one point four. That's pretty rate. good. Oh, I want ten. Well, <laughs> no, really. How are we going to have on the other side? If we, of can your call up, to if we can get it up above five, I'm going to be absolutely thrilled. That'd be really, that'd be outstanding. Because we, you'd we be able to write a case study on that. We should. That would be fun. Because yeah, I mean, well, if we get to you know what a thousand uh, thousand hits mm-hmm. a month. Well, if I'm getting a thousand hits a month, you know, daggum, that should be enough to get enough uh, enough leads to, to keep mm-hmm. the doors open. You know, without yeah. having to go out and do the mm-hmm. cold calling and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, just in case, that was just one of them. Like, if we're going to hit this ten thousand clients, okay. Well, the first thing we need is more more traffic coming through the website, yeah. and that spawned its own objective and its own key mm-hmm. results. Yeah. So, so about your question, Steve, I, w- I was thinking, okay, what is that we do on OKRs, and, and what we try to do is because it's, it's a corporation, because everybody has different recipe yeah. to mm-hmm. to take yeah. take on that, right? A corporation, massive corporation, global presence and everything else, we need to start from, from the mission and vision. And uh, for my projects, I usually try to say, hey, you know what, let's create our own mission and vision. And even down below, create your individual mission and vision. Right? Yes. Uh, because that way we understand what is that we're doing, what is the yep. challenge that we're facing. We did a podcast episode on, I can't remember which one it was, um, but you know, they've got, of course, a company quality policy, right? But then every single department wrote their own policy that was 
in alignment, maybe not, not the same, but in alignment with, with the company policy. And I just absolutely loved the idea. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it, it was a great case study. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it, was, it was really fun to see. But that is, it gets folks on on board with the program. Like, you know, I think you were saying, Steve, it's like, people don't want to be told what to do. They want to decide it for themselves. Okay. Well, how do you give them the tools to make those decisions that are in alignment with the company goals? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Set parameters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's something else that I found works real well also is... If you've got, you know, a, a good motivated person, right? You don't want to tell them what to do. You just want to give them a box to work within. Here's here's the boundaries. You can't go outside of this. And, and here's some very, very minimal. It's like we were doing this when you walked in, right? And so we're talking about this new aspect for the software. And I basically said, look, I really don't care the solution we use to get there. But we need to have a single page that folks go to for the self-service, self-service module. Mm-hmm. You know, beyond a single page for self-service module... I don't care at all how you do it. You go figure it out. Mm-hmm. But if you can build a good box for someone to work within, and you put a good, creative, innovative person on it, oh my gosh, you get you get way more fantastic of a solution mm-hmm. than totally. you ever could have come up totally. with on your own. You have to empower those guys. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what it, that's the one thing that I really like about agile methodology. Going back to that, because the team is supposed to be empowered mm-hmm. to make decisions and make it happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Problem is, at the end of the cycle, then you have to go you have back to and do a checkpoint. Yeah. yeah. I think what you guys are touching on there, and one of the quotes I heard going through this was Microsoft doesn't hire smart people to tell them what to do. They hire smart people for them to tell us what to do. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. So what, what are some other, I guess, takeaways or things you really loved about the book? Because, again, this book, while new, these ideas... Or not. Yeah, it's kind of a conglomeration of taking uh, management by objective and all this mm-hmm. stuff. It's smart goals and everything. I'll put it together in a nice digestible package, really. Yeah. Because, uh, it, 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 you know, things over time continue to get better. I think that's what, what John did. He's kind of put his own spin yeah. on a lot of the, the practices he's used over the last couple of decades. Yeah. No, I agree. And uh, this is something I haven't even thought too much about till. uh uh, just recently, but, you know, a quality world. You have to have your policy and objectives, right? When you go into mm-hmm. an audit, the first three things an auditor is going to look at is, let's see, last year's audit report, did you fix everything you were supposed to fix last year? Let's look at your policy, let's look at your objectives and how you're doing for them. Mm-hmm. And those objectives are typically identical year after year after year. These are the standard KPIs. But why couldn't some of these stretch OKRs mm-hmm. also be in the objective? Now, that's something that'll be fun to explain to an ISO auditor because they want to see compliant or not compliant and try, maybe trying to explain that 70% is okay. <laughs> might, mm-hmm. might, be difficult, might be a little difficult, but it's a fun concept to explore. It depends on your industry and what you do. Yes. Like 99% like accuracy rate may be good in your business, but it's really not good for Southwest. Right. Now, if 1% of other planes crash or their flights crashed in a year, that'd be a lot. <laughs> you know? Well, and I've had it before as well, where some of our clients, maybe they're uh, regularly involved in design and development, mm. and they don't have a repeatable um, product that they're putting out. Well, how do you judge customer satisfaction? How do you judge on time? Because these are the common ones, right? Mm. There's four or five ways to track customer satisfaction. I've got a YouTube video on it. How do you track on-time delivery? These are How do you track accuracy? These are easy when you have a repeatable process. 
But if you're doing something different for half your customers, you throw all that out the window. Uh, quality objectives become very, very difficult. And, and I'm yes. just sitting here thinking like, my gosh, this could be the solution for those few clients that don't have that repeatable of a process. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm in the training and development world. It's not like, yeah, that's really hard to measure satisfaction you may be able to look at ROI of a team or a project team like how well they were working together then how they're working together now but it's hard to measure yeah, yeah so there, there's a fine line between the, the production and the quality of the product or the service right mm -hmm. so that's something that it, sometimes you, you concentrate too much on quantity at the expense of, of quality, and that's not oh. the right way to go. <laughs> yeah, I've managed phone centers before, and like, we always pound on the sales people, like keep your call uh, times a certain length. But then we start listening to the calls, and when they saw like their time run out, they're rushing through the call, and uh -huh. just yeah. pissing off the customer. Yeah. Whereas sometimes, you know, the customers aren't all the same. Some of them, like, you, I'll use a stereotypical New Yorker, he wants to get on the phone, get his information, get off. And then we have this guy, Gordon, who is a, a good old boy from Waco. He's a little bit more, like, relaxed in his approach. Talk to me, tell him what's going on. Where are you working these days? They're like, what's happening? You're 10 minutes into the damn call before you even get down to business. Because yeah. he's got to talk about, like, cattle futures or something like that first. <laughs> so, the, 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 to your point, the, the measurement of quantity versus quality mm -hmm. is difficult and subjective right and, you, and one of the things we found over time was like all right we're going to look at it in an average and know that there's going to be some that are over and some that are under there was a great example of that in this book about with google and youtube yes where they thought that having the number of views was the right objective yes. mm. this is a fantastic example yeah and and so the way they were doing their again their ad revenue was at the start of every video there would be that little advertisement, right. and that's mm -hmm. how they get the revenue. Then they, but the CEO Susan Wojcicki, yeah. something was, like that, yeah, she mm -hmm. said no, it's it's viewer time. So how long someone looks at the video, they're happier, and that creates more ad revenue. Right. Mm -hmm. And people didn't agree, but they tested it out, and she, she was right. And, mm -hmm. and we all know how huge YouTube is now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, well, that's probably where three quarters of our viewers are being. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, YouTube. And yes. then uh, TikTok just like buried it. Like now everything's about 60 seconds. That'll, yeah. be, that'll be our next one. Right. Uh, <laughs> and and then for us, we, um, we, we were very analytical in our company. So we had all sorts of these metrics instead. Mm -hmm. We want to be a really safe company. Right. So how do we do that? And we found that the more observations, you know, hazard observations that mm -hmm. we have, and, and that could be both positive observation, negative, mostly we think of it in terms of negative right. observations, but like, oh, well, there's a tripping hazard here, so they write right. up a card. Well, it could also be good things. Hey, you know, Rob did a really good job working mm -hmm. with Alex on this this mm -hmm. activity. And those, so those vessels, we, we had a lot of offshore vessels, uh, construction vessels, those vessels that had more observations mm -hmm. had a better safety record, yeah. had less incidents, so mm -hmm. it was inversely proportional. And I would have thought it was the opposite. You know, you have so many observations because everything's going wrong. Right. You have more incidents. That wasn't the case. So once we learned that, mm -hmm. we started putting in motive incentives to have yeah. people make more observations. Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, then yeah, 
So yeah, I, I completely take it away. <laughs> agree. Like this is something that I'm really passionate about. That I wish we could get more clients on, on board with, and I've not found the best way to sell it. I guess. And I say sell it, I don't actually make anything extra off of it. It's just a, a mm -hmm. good way to do business. We yeah. call it a good catch card. It's the same idea, right? Because when someone writes up a nonconformity, people take that nonconformance report as a personal write-up, totally. as you know, a disciplinary action or a precursor disciplinary action. It's sometimes not. they are. Sometimes. But the majority of the time, <laughs> we just need to note that something went wrong or there was an mm -hmm. opportunity for, for improvement. But when you turn it into this long, drawn-out process, like I was, I was on site recently with a client, and they have this one page. It's pink, so that you can see it easy. Mm -hmm. But it's a page full of text you have to fill out. I'm like, no one's gonna. Do they have to wear out. that on their back for the day? Scarlet letter. The scarlet letter. It causes this quality issue. And yeah, it's like, That's man, I'm not gonna fill this it. out. You know, they wanted me to even fill it out before I left. I'm like, come guys, this is gonna take me like 15 minutes to fill yeah, out. Like I'm ready, I'm ready to go. Um, so what we've got is what we call a good catch card. It's like this little yellow card. What is the problem or potential problem? Mm -hmm. And what's the what do you propose as a solution? Beautiful. That's I'm going to steal that. Stealing that all day. And it's already stolen. Yeah. And then you put your Can name. Copy you put your date. <laughs> I'll give it to you. And you turn it in. And so what I've tried to tell folks is because um, we want to get more of these. Mm -hmm. The more people notice hazards, the more people notice opportunities for nonconformity, mm -hmm. the less they actually occur. Because mm -hmm. it's stuff that people don't pay attention to that, that mm -hmm. causes problems. And so what I've suggested to folks, maybe you guys get some advice on this, is you know, folks aren't just going to fill out the card because most people aren't going to fill out the card out of the goodness mm -hmm. of their heart. They, they want something for it. And so what I've always suggested is, well, let's just do like a $25 gift, you know, Chick-fil-A gift card mm -hmm. at the end of the month. If you turn your card in every week, you're entered into the drawing for it. Yeah. Well, that's what you make it okay on. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you make There's it okay on. Two points on that. You have those people who may be extrinsically motivated. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones who want the gift card. Yeah. You get some of those people who are intrinsically motivated. They're going to want a good data boy or yeah. our, uh, recognition. Right. So I would recommend in that you kind of do a little bit of both. Uh, personal or public recognition, either on a board or mm -hmm. something like that, and you can throw in a little gift card as well. Well, and then if your <clears throat> suggestion for improvement got incorporated into a corrective action, like maybe you get mm -hmm. you know something for a that piece of the savings. Yeah, mm. yeah. that's interesting. Oh yeah, that's mm -hmm. an interesting mm -hmm. idea. Easy to sell to the employees, hard to sell to the owners, but yeah, that's a good idea. And, and I think that what you a lot of what you're talking about is that concept of positive psychology that Seligman and now the happiness equation, all those guys bring to the table, whereas you're tracking the positives versus the negatives. Yeah. And I think... And if you can put the negatives mm -hmm. in the light of a positive. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And let them kind of like self-regulate <clears throat> the stuff, especially when we're dealing with intergenerational organizations. When you have a lot of 20-somethings in an organization, they're not like the same breed as my forebears were in the public world where you were okay just get like publicly scolded and, and beat <laughs> physically uh you know like now it's a kinder and gentler workforce and thank god it is you know but you know you want to be able to make it fun and yeah and keep everybody happy and you know you don't win the best places to work by just pounding the shit out of people all day well th this book could have been called you know, how to create a good culture yeah because mm -hmm. you're uh, you're, you're talking to people constantly, giving them feedback and challenging people, mm -hmm. uh, making them feel important. So, so that's what having 
I, I was debating, is it is it because Intel had a good culture that OKRs worked? Or was having OKRs the important recipe for having a good culture? And mm -hmm. I think they probably go hand in probably hand. Probably yeah. Culture is yeah. so hard. It is. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and if you think about the workforce today, how it used to be 20 years ago. I mean, 20, 30 years ago, you go into a company and you say, you know what? I'm going to stay here mm -hmm. as, as long as I, as mm -hmm. I can. Today, no. The millennials are switching jobs. Every it, it's two been, years. to your point, like, I was just watching something about this last night. COVID has accelerated that. Yeah. Exactly. Now with COVID now, people are like, you know what? For the last year, I was locked in my house at the fear of death that somebody's going <laughs> to breathe on me. I'm going to catch this, like, this disease and die. It, was, it messes with your psyche. It's like th this is like a, a generational forming event. And sure. people now are like, I am not going to go work for a company that doesn't appreciate me when I can work anywhere else in the country. Exactly. And you have these people now selling sure. their houses, moving in a van, yeah. living, working remotely from a van down by the I'm river. Shocked. Where like 20 years ago, <laughs> if I was living in a van down by the river, my family would be upset. Like, well, Robert's living in a van down by the river. And motivational speaker, right? But like, no, nowadays it's like, yeah, you can... No, this is like no. how many YouTube videos can you find about people are converting their van into like a yeah, camper? A lot of them. A ton. Yeah. A ton. Well, you know, the book we did last month, the first 90 days, I think it was what he said. Mm -hmm. On average, people switch jobs like what, or positions at least 1.8 years. Yeah, it's a ton. Like, so imagine that accelerated now. Like, holy yeah. crap. Yeah. But now people won't take it. They're like, I'm going to quit. The, I, there's an uh, article in the Wall Street Journal. I can find it. So you can link it to the, uh, the podcast after the, the that this, and it's recent, more people have been quitting their jobs in the last six months to a year than has ever been seen on record. Yeah. They're just done. Like, oh, I quit. I'll do whatever. Yeah. Yep. Well, mm -hmm. we, you know, you say that, like I'm thinking about the conversations I've had with the clients recently. I think mm -hmm. I've talked to three different people in the last you know, month where their quality managers up and left, went somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so it, mm -hmm. that's that. that I, I had to put put those pieces together, but you're you're right. Yeah, they're, they're switching and moving a lot uh, a lot more readily than they did before. And those folks oftentimes have to be on site, so they can't live in a van down by the river. Right. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you know it. Um, you know, I guess I'm what they call an elder millennial, right? And uh, it's not just the millennials that are the new ones now. We've got the, the Gen Zs coming into the yep. workforce oh, yeah. now, and you know they've been abs you know absolutely I'll, raised on IT. I'll share a story with you. I was talking to, uh, I guess Gen Z. I don't really track it that close, but I was telling the the guy, "Hey, that's a lot like Ferris Bueller." And he looks at me like Ferris who? <laughs> I'm like, oh my god! And now I had to pull up the video. But looking at the video, he goes, "That was what '96." I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "I wasn't even born yet." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh my god!" Life moves at you pretty fast. Oh, that's that's right. one of my favorite <laughs> movies, by the way. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, I guess we probably need to wrap up. This has gone by really quick, but I guess it happens when you're having fun. Mm -hmm. um, any, any final comments from you guys? Any any, uh, any advice for folks listening to this? I would say it's, it's, it's not easy to do, but it's critical for your organization. And the fact of the matter is read the book, get a feel for it, and implement what you can. You don't yeah. think you have to do it exactly as the book says, mm -mm. but make it your own. Like, own it. I agree. And it's a simple enough idea that if you want to add little 
quirks and twists yeah. to it. Go for it. it. It's not like this is a, a very formal methodology. Mm -hmm. no. Exactly. Be open to new ideas. I will say, yes, objectives, uh, they have to be ambitious, they have to mm -hmm. be inspiring, but they also must be specific and clear. Yes. Mm -hmm. So they can yep. be measured. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. This is much more of the improvement process of your organization than your day-to-day -day functions. Now, mm -hmm. it will influence day-to-day, -day, but this mm -hmm. is about continually improving your organization. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and if you're if you're working with guys that just say, I just want to get shit done, right. they say, you know, we're just too busy to do goal, goal setting. Yes. Mm -hmm. I would say, like, no, you, you can't do goal setting not because you're too busy. You're too busy because you're not doing goal yeah. setting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, this is very important. Yeah, mm -hmm. the, uh, the get shit done was... Uh, that was the selling point. I mean, my gosh, it was a turning point for us. And for those folks, that that's their behavior, so that's their mindset and how they like to do things. That oftentimes only represents maybe 25% of the people in the organization. Yeah. There's a lot of the people that want to have that personal touch mm -hmm. and that they're more uh, like idealistic about the, the things that they need to do. So you're going to be careful about that. Sure. And we talk about all the diversity and inclusion and everything else. You're going to include people of different styles as well to make sure they all come together. That's the kind of the point That's you made earlier. <laughs> yeah, is uh, Alex is you know why different response to the exact same uh, same ideas. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's kind of a good point to end it on. Mm -hmm. You know, this is kind of what we all say is make it your own, and definitely you got to be careful about how you do it. Mm -hmm. So right, that's guys. it, guys. I appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll talk to you next month. All right, great Hopefully conversation. I'm not in, a, in a van down by the river. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Hey, good conversation, guys. Yeah, no, this is fun. fun. This is fun. This was good, man. This went by quick. Well, we could do another hour if you want. Yeah. I know. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, guys. Well, what podcast episode would be complete without a good formal call to action? You know, this is one of our objectives is to make this podcast an amazing success, and the Business Visionaries Book Club is one of our key results for doing so. So help us achieve that goal, and let's get some likes, some subscribes on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you consume this content. Be sure to subscribe. Leave us a review. We absolutely love to hear from you. We're going to be sharing some of that feedback on our next few episodes. So thank you for listening, and we hope to hear from you soon.